0: Hello, I'm Courtney Garrett and this is the 101 Christianity Podcast. These messages accompany Discovering the Character of God, a 14-week Bible study I wrote on the Attributes of God, which is available on Amazon. I pray this message will encourage you as you grow in your understanding of God's character. Okay, so before we begin, I wanted to answer a question that came up last week about the Trinity and this will happen periodically and I'm so happy to go back and kind of revisit things that may not have been clear. And so the question arose, who do we pray to? We have God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and so who, who do we pray to? There is not a formula prescribed in scripture for that, but there are some guidelines. And so while you can pray to any member of the Trinity, I look to the pattern Jesus gave us in Matthew 6. And that is when he said this, you know, pray then like this. And thus, and thus begins the Lord's Prayer, our Father who are in heaven. So I look to Jesus as his pattern for how he prayed to the Father. And so in my mind, we pray to the Father because of Jesus in Jesus name through the power of the Holy Spirit and so the Trinity is involved in our prayers now Certainly, Jesus is our mediator You can pray to Jesus because the only reason we can approach the Father is because of Jesus and you can pray to the Holy Spirit Because the Holy Spirit it tells us in Scripture has words even when we don't have words and so you can pray to any member of the Trinity I tend to focus my prayers more on the pattern that Jesus gave us because not only in that passage in Matthew, but also in the high priestly prayer when Jesus is talking to the Father, we see him oftentimes referring to the Father as he prays. So there's freedom, but there's some guidelines, and so you can think think about that. So we began our study with the Trinity as a foundation for understanding the tri-unity of God, the three-in-oneness of God. And today, it is necessary to take our, this next step to talk about the holiness of God. So why does the holiness of God come next? Because I told you that our study builds and this is important because all of these building blocks at the beginning are foundational while God is 100% of each one of these attributes there are some attributes we need to understand before we can talk about other ones and God's holiness is one of those if i were to draw a picture of god's of, of like kind of the attributes of god there would be an umbrella of god's holiness over all the other attributes now why why is that so Because God's holiness pervades every other one of his attributes. Every other one of his attributes is saturated in God's holiness. So we must have an understanding of God's holiness to understand the rest because it is what most separates us from God. God's holiness is what separates us from God. And so without that understanding, you won't understand your sin. And in turn, you won't understand your need for Christ. And so we have to start. We have to start here. So let me ask you if this scenario sounds familiar. It is about December 26th and you have decided this is your year. You're going to read through the Bible. You go on to Amazon Prime because you need a new Bible anyway. And this is the perfect excuse because this is your year. You're reading through the Bible. And you get on and you find that Bible, that study Bible that your friend had suggested. And you get that Bible and it comes in the mail and you are excited. And you find a Bible reading plan that you've downloaded. You've got to print it out. And January 1, you're all in. You begin, and you begin your reading with Genesis. And Genesis is amazing and fast-moving, and you're enjoying every bit of it, and you're getting it. You're tracking. You get to Exodus, and everything is also. You are just on track. Maybe you've skipped a day, but you made up for it because you read twice in one day. No problem. You're on track. You're loving it. You're moving along. Towards the end of Exodus, it gets a little bit kind of like, okay, now there's the priesthood and the ark, and... I'm not sure. There's a little, a few things that kind of got a little tricky there on the priestly duties, but you're okay. You have finished that. You get to Leviticus. What happens at Leviticus, ladies? You freeze. You freeze. What has read like a novel has suddenly become like a legal document or something, right? It has totally changed languages. You are like, Okay, clean, unclean, there's some purification, there's some priest stuff going on. I, I, I'm not even for sure. There's laws and it's, there's blood and these sacrifices. Well, I don't even know what to do with this. And so you're kind of skimming at best, and then you just peter out. And then what happens is this nice little thing right here, it gets stuck here forever in Leviticus. Okay, Leviticus gets a bad rap. But Leviticus is important because it is all about the holiness of God. And so today I want to talk about three things. I want to have holiness defined, we're going to talk about holiness demonstrated, and then we're going to talk about holiness lived out. Holiness defined, holiness demonstrated, and holiness lived out. So, first of all, holiness defined. How is holiness defined in Scripture? So we're going to start in the Old Testament where we first see God's holiness. And in order to do that, in order to even talk about Leviticus, let's talk about what's happened up until that point. So scripture opens, and I'm going to give you just a brief overview of what we've seen in in Genesis and Exodus. So we open with creation and all the glory of creation. And then God creates man. And then in Genesis 3, we have the fall, right? Adam sins, changes everything. After that, shortly after, we have the flood. And then Noah's descendants, his children, begin to repopulate the earth. Sometime later, God chooses Abraham, a man that he has said, I am going to create a new nation through you, a new nation that is going to be totally mine. And your descendants are going to number, be like the numbers of stars in the sky or outnumber them. It's going to be a people called out. After, after Abraham comes Isaac, and then comes Jacob, and those make up the patriarchs. Jacob has 12 sons. You remember, Joseph is one of the sons. Joseph thinks he's kind of cool, and he says to his brothers, Guess what? so weird. I had a dream. You're all going to bow down to me. They didn't like that so much. They sold him into slavery and, and wanted to kill him, but ended up selling him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. God raises up Joseph, and because of a famine, his family comes down there begging for food. Joseph is rejoined with his brothers. And thus begins Israel living, all, pop, repopulating down in Egypt. Their numbers grow and grow, and, and Egypt does not like it. And they say, this is, this is out of control. We are going to make them our slaves. And that is how Egypt I mean, the, the uh, Israelites become enslaved for 400 years. They're enslaved. Then God raises up another man, Moses, and says, Moses, who is a Hebrew, raised in Pharaoh's palace. Remember the basket? Remember from Sunday school? Floating down the river. He is captured, or he's really recovered and rescued, and he is raised in Pharaoh's palace. And then he becomes the man to lead them out of the promised, I mean into the promised land and out of slavery. So God provides for them in the desert, giving the Ten Commandments and the laws for governing the people. And I mean, just try to get around your your head for a minute, like two and a half million people. That would be like Houston proper. Houston proper, just going out to the desert. I can't even get my head around that. So here's Moses. Leading these people out. They make the Ark of the Covenant because God would dwell with them there, and then the Tabernacle because that's erected because the purpose was to manifest God's glory among the people. All of that brings us to Leviticus. Okay. So, see, it's going fast, going fast. And then er, here comes Leviticus. Okay. So, in your study this week, you had a twofold definition of God's holiness one being God's holiness and His majesty, that He is all together separate from everything else and so distinct and then the other part of God's holiness is he is holy in his moral purity and in his goodness he is free from the pollution of sin those two things together form God's holiness because of this God is utterly unapproachable because we are complete and total sinners so God's holiness and the consequent separation of his chosen people because of sin is the central theme of Leviticus. Uh, I want to mention a very helpful tool. I mentioned to you a couple of that website, gotquestions.org, the Bible Project on YouTube. If you don't know about it, it's going to be your new best friend. If you're a visual learner like me, the, they have it's the Bible Illustrated and some really talented guys headed up. I'm going to give you just an, an, a little glimpse into how they were helpful in in helping me describe the holiness of God. So picture the sun. So the sun is unique in our solar system. There is not a star like the sun. It is unique and it's powerful and it is a source of life. That power that generates all this life is also very dangerous. We cannot look at the sun we can certainly not get close to the sun or it will totally consume us so if you think of god god's holiness like the sun if you are impure god's presence is dangerous to you not because it's bad but because it is so very good and that is god's holiness it is that it's totally it's so good and perfect that we cannot even even go near it so what what do we do about that? The Hebrew word for holiness is this idea of separateness. We are separate. And so in Leviticus in nine, verse, uh, chapter 19 and 20, we see for the first time God saying, you shall be holy for I am holy. He says you in Leviticus 20, 26, you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. So if Israel wanted to live in God's presence, they must become holy, which meant their sin had to be dealt with. So how did they do that? How could they deal with their sin? So that, that is where the roles of the priesthood and the rituals and the sacrifices came in. So much of the law that you read in Leviticus is a kind of code of conduct. As members of the body of God's people and it detailed the ways in which the the sacrifices and the priesthood were to be administered as God's gracious provision for his people's failures. So this brings in the idea of sacrifices. So sacrifices were not some sort of arbitrary ritual. They had profound meaning and symbolism. And so people at different times, the people were called to make sacrifices. So I want you to understand what, that, what the sacrifices were, because this is hard to, to, to get our heads around. The sacrifices were meant as a substitution of the animal for the individual sinner, which showed that sin was covered. It was covered, and God's wrath could be satisfied by the provision of another. Let me read that again. The substitution of the animal for the individual sinner showed that sin could be covered and God's wrath could be satisfied by the provision of another. Can you think about what that points to? Another one that would come one day that would be the perfect sacrifice for us. So animal sacrifices could not take away sin, but they pointed beyond themselves to the death of Jesus on the cross, which alone can satisfy the justice of God. So you might ask, did these sacrifices save Old Testament believers? That's always a question that we come to. How were Old Testament believers saved? Salvation has always been by grace through faith in the promises of God. The sacrifices could not save the people. But what they did through their belief and their obedience or subsequent obedience to that demonstrated their belief that this was symbolizing what Jesus would someday fulfill. It's very hard for us to put our our, our feet, our feet in their shoes. Is that right? Our shoes? Yeah, feet in their shoes. I was thinking shoes in their feet. Anyway, you know what I mean. So it's very hard because we didn't live in that time to where those cultural practices would, it just doesn't even make sense to us, but it all pointed to what would one day be manifest in Jesus. So that is holiness defined. So let's break this down for us as, we, as I come to the second part where I talk about here holiness demonstrated. What does it look like to encounter God's holiness? How does God see you? How, how, how does he see me? And what does that have to do with God's holiness? It has everything to do with God's holiness. My husband John, uh, between his freshman and sophomore years in high school, was invited by a friend to go to Young Life camp. And the interesting thing—he lived, in, lived in Houston, and he had a friend—and that he said, "Hey, let's go!" And it sounded fun, primarily because there were going to be cute girls there. And he. The interesting thing is John went to a different school of his friend, and then the school that was going to the Young Off camp was a different school. So there's no reason why, you know, we still think, how in the world did he get there? But it was the cute girls. So see, if you've got teenage sons, just just, just realize there could be something good that comes from that. Um, So at that time, spiritual things were not on John's radar at all. His impression of God at the time was that God was kind of a grandfather type, and created the world and just to kind of sit back and it's just kind of a loving God letting everybody do their thing. Things were going along great at camp. He was there to have fun and was having fun and about three days in they gave the sin talk and for the first time John heard about the holiness of God. Instantly John knew he was a sinner. He went from in a moment comparing himself to other people and how good he was in comparison to other people to comparing himself to the perfect holiness of God. And he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he fell so short. And he understood in his sinful state, God could love him dearly, but he could not accept him into his presence. And he knew that God was justified in that position, which meant that he was destined to spend an eternity apart from God that he had just encountered for the first time. He wanted desperately to be in God's presence, but with every fiber, every fiber of his being, he, he knew that he couldn't be. He walked out of the meeting because that's how it ended. Just God is perfect and glorious and you are a sinner. He walked out of that meeting devastated. He thought, how could anyone have any joy in life after hearing this? What is the point of life? What is the point of getting, getting up in the morning? Everything felt dark. Life had no purpose and no meaning. He thought to himself, you know what? Ignorance was bliss. I wish I had never heard this. It was an awful 24 hours. And so the next night when the gospel was presented, he said, I cannot even believe This is the best news. Amen. He had an instant surrender because he knew it was the only remedy that a perfect, holy, loving God could love him. And so, ladies, if we've never pondered what separates us from God, we will never run to the cross. He sat with that, For 24 hours. And if you were like me, knowing Jesus since you were little, you did not have the same experience. But we need to have this experience to understand what it took for God to rescue us because God's so perfect and good and we are not, but he made a way for us to know him. God's holiness demands payment for sin. And the amazing news of the gospel is that he's the one who provided the answer. We didn't have to come up with the answer ourselves. So Christ, on the cross and making atonement, is the one who fulfilled the sacrificial system, all that we saw in the Old Testament. So open with me uh, to Hebrews 9, and I want to just read a couple of things that bring all this together, because I understand that the sacrifices are hard to get our heads around, but I just want to read a few verses to help us. Look at Hebrews 9. Verses 11 through 15. Hebrews 9 verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal, excuse me, promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Now go on to chapter ten, and I'll start in verse one. and that's what i mentioned that the sin, that it could not take away the sins it could cover and point to christ but it could not take away the sins drop down to verse 11 and every priest stands at, stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but when christ had offered for for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Last few verses, jump jump down to verse 19. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who was was promised is faithful. Everything that Jesus came for, All of our sins were covered on the cross, and that is why he had to die for us. And while this may be elementary to you today, I hope you never get over it. I hope I never get over it. What Jesus secured for us on the cross, Jesus became the perfect lamb to satisfy the holiness of God that is why john the baptist when when he appears before jesus is 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 baptized he says behold the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world he recognized him for what he was it was his cousin by the way you remember that and there he was just here's the the lamb of god last week i mentioned a little bit about progressive christianity not so much to scare you but just to kind of make you aware of some teachings that can get off course and I had a conversation with somebody last week who said, I have a friend who goes to a church. And what they have done with um, the songs there is that they have removed all the songs that talk about blood. <clears throat> because, you know, blood's offensive. We don't want to we don't want to talk about the blood. We gotta talk about the blood. We have nothing without the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow, that makes me white as snow. Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. We have to think about the blood. Blood is messy. It's not fun to think about. You think about 2.5 million people, Sacrificing, I can't even understand what that looks like. Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine just the sight of it all? We have to think about the blood sometimes, and that's what the holiness of God points us to what we have in Christ. Okay, so how, how do we live this out? This last point, how is holiness lived out? We've seen holiness defined, holiness demonstrated with Jesus on the cross. How is holiness lived out? Because what most separates us from God, his holiness, is what he calls us to. How can that be? He says, be holy for I am holy. Now I wanna make sure you know that it doesn't say, be holy as I am holy, that's impossible. But be holy because I am holy. And why is that? Because you're a called out people. You're gonna look different. Guess what? You're gonna look weird. We're all gonna look weird. If we are seeking to live for Christ, ladies, we're gonna look weird. We're gonna do things that make your friends scratch their head. We're gonna say things that don't make sense. We're gonna, we're gonna be going against the culture. We're gonna be swimming like salmon up the river, but that is what we're called to. And the Holy Spirit lives within us to show us what that can look like. So we do this, How how we reflect God's holiness is through three things, just briefly. Repentance, obedience, and worship. Repentance. We repent initially when we confess that we are sinners and we don't deserve salvation. And so we repent initially as we ask the Lord to become our Savior. But we have to have a lifestyle of repentance. And what does that look like? We are mindful that although we are saved and secure and nothing can change that, we have an old sin nature that's just with us wherever we go. And we have to fight against that. We have to ask the Lord to to, to make us aware of the ways that we have lived that are not not what He wants for us. And so we have to live lifestyle of repentance with the constant examination of our hearts. We reflect His Holiness by repenting of our sin and asking the Lord to change us. Secondly, we reflect his holiness through our obedience. And this obedience is not a duty. It is not something that we just have to say, I'm going to obey, I'm just going to do it. And we're not doing it because God is going to turn his back on us if we don't obey. We do it in response to what he's done for us. And so we know that his ways are good and right for us and so we when we live a life of obedience that's where peace is that's where joy is and then when we veer off track we say Lord we repent and we say Lord why did I do it my way your ways are better help me Lord to obey you and obey your obey your word we obey from gratitude Open with me real quickly, or turn, because you're in Hebrews, to 1 Peter. And I want to just highlight this, just a few chapters over from Hebrews, if your Bible is still open there. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in 13. And I want you to see here how holiness and obedience are connected. I want you to see each time that I say holy, each time that that we see holiness... And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So do you see how obedience and holiness are interconnected? And so for us to live holy knives, we are wholly dependent on the Lord to do a work in us, a supernatural work in us through his word, through the Holy Spirit in us. That's the only way that we'll be able to, to obey. And then the third way that we can do this after re- repentance and obedience is worship. Worship is our rightful response to God for what he has done for us and what he is doing in our lives. Yes, he has saved us for an eternity with him, but he has something for you right now, today. And so what we can do is just worship him. And worship is not just what we sing in church. It's not just us gathering corporately. It's our heart disposition towards the Lord. It is involving him in our lives. It's talking to him throughout the day. And it's just saying, oh, Lord, I need you so much. Thank you so much for all you've done for me. Help me to just live a life worthy in response to what you've done. So as we close today, I have a question. How, how does a holy God see you today? Those who have trusted in Christ, those who are in Christ, when God sees you, when a holy God sees you, he sees the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. He sees Christ in you. If you have not yet received Christ as as your Savior, Scripture says that, that in your rejection, you're an enemy of God. If we are not running to God, we're running away from God. We can't be indifferent towards God. And so I just want you to surrender to him today. If you have not done that, I'd love to talk to you. Your small group leader would love to talk to you. And for those of us who have accepted Christ, think of the holiness of God in this purity as you look at the sun today, not able to look at it. But able to see the glory of god and we can look at the father now because of what jesus did for us the holiness of god is such an overwhelming concept for us to grasp but there's something for us here as we meditate and think about our salvation that was secured on the cross so would you pray with me father you are so good and so pure you are beyond what we can understand or even imagine. And so, Lord, we thank you that through the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament that seemed like something strange to us, that it all pointed to this the one day that you were going to bring your son to be the perfect lamb to take away all of our sin. So, Lord, I pray that we would live lives that reflect our, our thanksgiving, that we can live secure in you, and I pray that we would live lives of repentance and obedience and worship, not, not out of duty or obligation, but because we long to, be, to know more of who you are. We long to glorify you, Lord. And so I pray that each of us could live, live lives that, that honor you, Lord. We pray all of this in the precious lamb, the, the holy son's name, Jesus. Amen. For more information about our resources, please visit 101christianity.com. And for more encouragement, you can follow along on Instagram at Courtney underscore Garrett underscore. Let's press on as we seek to know the truth and share the truth.